ومن أحسن قولا ممن دعا إلى الله وعمل صالحا وقال إنني من المسلمين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله All praise is due to Allah the one and the unique he it is whom we worship, and it is his aid that we seek. He revealed the Quran to our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he taught Adam how to speak. He it is who answers the dua of the oppressed, and he hears the plea of the weak. As to what follows, welcome to another Q and A on Tuesday. Let us begin immediately. Uh, Sister Qurratul Ain from Birmingham asks. Uh, what is the definition of a major sin and what are some of the differences between major and minor sins? So this is a very uh, deep and very interesting and very necessary question. And it is very clear from the Quran and from the Sunnah that Allah Azza wa Jal has categorized acts of disobedience into two large categories, major sins and minor sins. The Arabic term is kabira and saghira. And the Quran mentions this distinction very explicitly in multiple verses. In fact, there are at least three verses in the Quran that are explicit in this regard. So for example, in Surah Al-Kahf, uh, Allah says, when they see the book, uh, those who rejected Allah will say, مَا لِهَذَا الْكِتَابِ لَا يُغَادِرُ صَغِيرَةً وَلَا كَبِيرَةً إِلَّا أَحْصَاهَا What is the uh, matter with this book? Where is this book coming from? Neither a saghira or kabira that I have done except that it has recorded it. And Allah says in the Quran, إِن تَجْتَنِبُوا كَبَائِرَ مَا تُنْهَوْنَ عَنْهُ If you avoid the kabair of what we had forbidden, نُكَفِّرْ عَنْكُمْ سَيِّئَاتِكُمْ We shall cause the other ones to be forgiven and allow you to enter Jannah. So this is a promise from Allah that if we maintain a level of religiosity and we say the five prayers and we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we avoid the kabair, that that which is the sagha'ir, Allah will not punish us in Jahannam. The punishments might be otherwise, but not in Jahannam. The Sagha'ir will not be punished in Jahannam for those who turned to Allah and those who lived righteous lives. And our Prophet said that each prayer to the next prayer and Ramadan to the next Ramadan and the Umrah to the next Umrah shall be a kafara for the Sagha'ir as long as the Kaba'ir are avoided. So your five daily prayers and you're doing Ramadan every single year, fasting the month of Ramadan, that when you maintain this lifestyle of piety, the bare minimum piety, then the minor sins shall be forgiven by your generic good deeds. It's not an excuse to commit minor sins, but it is a bushra, good news that when you live a religious lifestyle and you avoid the major sins, that that which is lesser than the major, they shall not be punished in the worst punishment, which is the punishment of Jahannam. So it is very clear, therefore, that our religion differentiates between Sagira and Kabira. But we have to understand before we get to the distinction between the two, the technical distinction, there is a number, there are a number of points we should be aware of. First and foremost, that the kabira and the saghira, the kabar and the saghair, even though there are two binary categories, there are two categories, still within the kabair and within the saghair, there is a hierarchy. 
So just because a kabira is a kabira, there is no question that within the kabair, there are far bigger than other kabair. This is relative to the other kabair. So for example, there is no question that uh, drinking alcohol is a kabira, but murder is also a kabira. And the sin of murder is much, much, much more than the sin of drinking, even though both are kabair. So just because we categorize something as kabira or sagira, it doesn't mean they're all exactly the same. No, within each there is a hierarchy and that which you transgress upon the rights of others and that which you hurt and harm other people after the sin of shirk because that is the dhulm done to Allah after that the dhulm done to other people is a far greater category than that which you do between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so the point is even kabair have a hierarchy and sagair also have a hierarchy also before we get to the technical definition we need to point out the psychological reality that there is no kabirah in the face of repentance and istighfar and tawbah. And no sin is a sagira if it is done via arrogance. In other words, rather than just get to the technical, we have to look at the spiritual and psychological. And it is very possible that a small sin becomes the largest of the large sins when it is done with a sense of, of arrogance, of pride, of flouting the sharia of Allah. A'udhu billah, we seek Allah's refuge from that. And when a major sin is done, even when it is done and the person feels guilty, well then that is infinitely better than the small sin that is done with arrogance because the pride of arrogance is perhaps bigger than the sin of drinking or of this nature. So even as we give the technical definitions, do understand that there is a psychological and spiritual reality as well. And that is why some of our scholars used to say, there is no kabira if you have tawbah and istighfar. And there is no sagira if you're adamant and repetitive and you have no guilt at all. And they were trying to point out here that let's not get bogged down in the technical details. As the famous saying goes, there's the letter of the law and there's the spirit of the law. Well, we can say the same thing over here as well, that indeed there is the letter definition, which we're going to talk about right now, and then there's a spiritual definition. So let us not yani, conflate the two. As for the letter or the technical definition, the famous Shafi'i scholar Al-Mawardi, he says, the kabira is that which necessitates a worldly punishment or which Allah has threatened with punishment in the hereafter. So that which brings about a had, a had punishment. When you go to the court of law, there's a list of had punishments. Some say four, some say five, some say six, but there's a small list of had punishments. And there's also a list of punishments that are promised in the hereafter. Uh, the famous Mufassir ibn Atiyah says, that after research and analysis, the position is that the kabira is every sin that necessitates a penalty by the court of law in this world, or that Allah has linked with the fire of hell in the hereafter, or that Allah has cursed. So he mentions three things, had, which is the punishment that is given in this world, la'na uh, of Allah, or being threatened with the fire of hell. And this is the position of Al-Iz ibn Abdul Salam and of Ibn Taymiyyah and of basically the majority of scholars. Ibn Hajar also uh, appreciates this view. And that is that the kabira is a sin that brings about a worldly punishment by law, Islamic law, or it is linked to Jahannam directly. Allah says, whoever does this is gonna go to Jahannam unless they repent. Or Allah's la'na is upon such a person. Now, with this definition, in reality, the list is not that long. 
and there are just a few things on these lists. So for example, murder is no doubt, يعني, um, uh, breaking and entering to steal. يعني, when Allah says the, the punishment for stealing is a had, uh, the, the, the technical definition of sariqa is that you must break and enter into uh, a place. So for example, pickpocketing is not the same as sariqa, but that's a technical point. Uh, so sariqa is a, a, a major sin. Uh, accusing innocent women uh, and men of, of zina, highway robbery, you know, mafia means stopping people on the road and, and, and robbing them uh, in this manner. Uh, this is the had punishments are basically very few in number. And if you look at la'na, uh, once again, a relatively small list. Uh, Allah's la'na is upon those who uh, lie against Allah. They, they say that things are coming down to them, wahi is coming down to them. Allah's la'na is upon those who do zulm and, in, and unjust injustice to others, And as for sins that are linked to Jahannam as well, you have a limited list. For example, charging people riba. By the way, the Quran and the Sunnah does not link Allah's la'na or the punishment of Jahannam to those who are forced to take riba. That is a sin and I have given more details about this, but we have to be technical here. The la'na that comes in the Quran and the Sunnah, the, the, the harsh punishments that come in the Quran, it is for the one, the rich person who take, gives the loan of riba and he says, I want to to take more back. Uh, okay, this is the one who is eating uh, riba. Eating orphans' property is also uh, threatened with the punishment of Jahannam. Murder is threatened with the punishment of Jahannam, and so on and so forth. So these are the primary uh, lists, and this is not exhaustive, there are others as well. But I need to point out here that with utmost respect to some of our great ulama, uh, some of them seem to have uh, um, exaggerated the list of kabair. Uh, and uh, perhaps, of course, their niyyah was good, and that is that they wanted to, 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 to stop people from committing sins. So they kind of made a longer list of kabair. Uh, but you see, I mean, you, you, if you wanna, yani, it, whenever you go beyond the bounds, you cause repercussions in this regard. And again, with utmost respect, yani, uh, there are great scholars who wrote treatises, most famously Imam al-Dhahbi, he wrote an entire book called Al-Kaba'ir, and other scholars criticized him for saying that he included things in that list that should not have been included. Sometimes he even included things that might be a gray area of fiqh, you know, and maybe even not even a sagha'ir, such as not praying in jama'ah, he put it in a kaba'ir, or lowering the garments under your ankle, which is in reality a minority opinion amongst the fuqaha. The point being though, that we need to be a little bit careful that just because we find somebody saying it's a kabira, we need to say why is it a kabira? What is the issue um, that has made it a kabira? And this is not, I'm not saying this, a'udhu billah, a'udhu billah, to, to, to encourage people to fall into the sagha'ir. I'm saying this because there is a psychological reality of a person who feels that he's so sinful that there's no point in returning to Allah, nobody should feel that way. But when you look at his lifestyle, he might actually just be doing some sagha'ir. But the, the perception that he's gotten from so many ultra harsh scholars around him is that khalas, this person is doomed to Jahannam. And in reality, they might just be, yani, struggling to be good Muslims, that's what we might say. And when, the, when this person has been presented a version or an image of Islam that is so strict 
and so removed from his own reality, rather than aim for something better, he might just lose hope and say, I'm never gonna be that way. And this might be a cause for him, a'udhu billah, to even go worse. So the times that we live in, you know, we have, to, we have to go to the lowest common denominator and encourage people to come. So brothers and sisters, inshallah, if you're not murdering people, you're not eating orphans' property, you're not, you know, a, a drug addict or something, any, avoid the major sins as much as you can. And even if you commit a major sin, there is no major sin that remains after tawbah. The purpose of tawbah and the purpose of istighfar is to forgive major sins. And even the major sins, as I said, they're not all the same. So a personal sin between you and Allah, even if it is major, for example, yani habitually uh, drinking and getting drunk, uh, the, the kabira, there's no doubt that uh, the habitual drunkard or the habitual drug addict, there's no doubt that uh, the person who's addicted and always spending money on these substances, that this is a, 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 a kabira. But still to this person, I say that amongst the kabair, this is much less than eating orphans' property. There is no comparison to murder, a'udhu billah. So even amongst this, do not lose hope of Allah's mercy and know that all you need to do is turn to Allah for repentance, ask Allah for istighfar, feel guilty for what you have done and try to overcome this addiction. Try, that's what you need to do. Put in some effort. And if you don't reach perfection, continue to put in effort. Never ever you know, lose hope because that in and of itself is a kabira. To lose hope of Allah's mercy is a kabira is a major sin because you are having a bad thought about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So my point being that uh, it's a very important discussion to know what is saghira, what is kabira, but at the same time, uh, you know, we have to not get carried away. Uh, and you know, some of our scholars, they wanna make everything into a kabira such that they would think, a person would think that, you know, there is no sin except that it is a kabira. And you know, I understand the goal is to prevent, but when you raise the bar too high, you lose touch of reality. And that's why when you look at the Salaf, when you look at Ibn Abbas and others, when they're talking about this, they're so much more human. Not that they're encouraging sin, but they understand that, you know, people are mortals. We're not angels and we're going to commit sin. So for example, Allah says in the Quran, that, uh, that Allah describes the people of Jannah. And He says, they are those who avoided the major sins and the major fawahish. But as for the lamam, the lamam is that which comes close. The lamam is that which touches. It's not like deep inside, it's just touching, yani, uh, going close to the sin. Allah says, as for the lamam, they all shall be overlooked. Ibn Abbas said, I know of no better example of lamam of this category than a man's look at a woman that he shouldn't look at or that a man's flirting with a woman he shouldn't you know, flirt at. Now, is anybody gonna say Ibn Abbas is encouraging this? No, Ibn Abbas is getting practical and realistic. And you know, the, the men here understand and know in this environment that we live in, there is no justification, but may Allah forgive. How 100% pure can you be? How much can you always you know, lower the gaze? So Ibn Abbas is saying in his society, in his environment that I know of no better example of that which everybody is gonna do and they ask Allah to forgive for, except for the lemam. This is not a justification of the sin. It is 
a realization that men or human beings are mortal and they're going to do certain things and they're never going to reach absolute perfection. But as long as they strive and they try and they repent to Allah and they live a righteous life, that inshallah ta'ala, the minor sins will be forgiven. Again, not a justification, but at least a hope that you know what? Let me strive to do more good deeds. Let me strive to live a righteous life and let me repent for the major sins specifically and minor sins generically. By the way, one final point, and that is that when it comes to repentance, one of the differences between major and minor sins is the following. You must repent from a major sin specifically, and you may repent from minor sins generically. So if you have a drug addiction, if you have uh, embezzled an orphan's money, taken money from an orphan or something, if you have done something of this nature, you must specifically repent from that sin. Feel guilty, ask Allah's forgiveness, turn over the money back if it's somebody else's property, you know, strive your best to overcome it. You must make specific tawbah. As for the minor sins, there are too many in our minds to list and count. So we say, Astaghfirullah al-Azim. I ask Allah's istighfar for all sins I've done, okay? We say, Ya Rabb, I have committed sins, so forgive me. This is generic. And I think of generically all the sins that I have done. So this is one of the main differences between major and minor sins when it comes to istighfar. The bottom line is that <coughs> these are the minor, uh, the major uh, differences between a kabair and the sagair. That the kabira is that which there is a worldly punishment, or there is Allah's la'na, or that there is the fire of hell uh, that is threatened. And all of these sins are guaranteed forgiveness if you genuinely repent to Allah. And the minor sins are other than these, and they are guaranteed forgiveness if you are living an Islamic lifestyle, constantly praying, constantly fasting, constantly doing istighfar and tawbah, you live the bare minimal Islamic lifestyle, the minor sins are guaranteed to be forgiven from being punished in the fire of hell, but they might be uh, taken into account in other ways as I have given other talks in this regard, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Our next question, I've decided to put a number of questions together because they're generically dealing with the same thing. So we have Sister Rashida from Birmingham, uh, asks that she works in the healthcare industry, but in her hospital, it is mandatory to wear scrubs, which at times might be too tight. And also it is the policy of their hospital that the forearms be exposed so that the gloves can come to the forearms. So she is saying, what can she do in this regard? Is it permissible? I want to add some more questions here. Brother Ma'moon uh, writes that when the Quran says to lower the gaze, what level of prohibition is this of the opposite gender? Is it a complete blanket, unconditional prohibition? Or is it prohibited only with desire? Because he writes, when one is in the corporate setting, it is not possible to always lower the gaze. And in the course of normal interactions, one looks and smiles and offers polite conversation. So does this verse apply to that? And Brother Raza asks about uh, alcohol being present in corporate events and meetings and a number of other questions. So all of these questions, I want to give a generic response to uh, working, uh, let's, take, let's call it the fiqh of the workplace, the fiqh of, 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 of corporate uh, environments. 
Now I want to begin by, by stating that we need to uh, distinguish between that which Allah has forbidden specifically because of itself, what we say haram lidhatihi, and that which the Sharia has forbidden because it leads to haram, haram lighayrihi. So generally speaking, we all understand that there's one thing that is haram lidhatihi, and there are many things that's haram lighayrihi. So classic example, zina, that is haram lidhatihi. But what leads to zina? It is the lustful gaze, it is flirtation, it is being alone with a woman. All of these are also haram. What is haram lidatihi? Drinking alcohol. But what leads to that? Selling alcohol and transporting alcohol and uh, you know um, uh, being in the presence where alcohol is consumed. Uh, and not all of them are the same level, by the way. I mean, just give, I'm giving you some random lists here. Obviously, each of these is a different uh, category in sin. But the point is that there are things that are forbidden in and of themselves. And then there are avenues that Allah wants to shut because when you open this door, you know, you're just gonna go all the way until you get to this actual uh, sin. And so we all know, for example, that all uh, um, fahisha, it starts with the lustful gaze and the lustful talk. So then obviously we should stop it from the very uh, beginning. Still, the means do not take the same rulings as the ends in terms of sins. And therefore, and this is well known, especially when it comes to buyur uh, uh, or transactions, and I've spoken about this in other uh, lectures, that which is forbidden indirectly, that which is forbidden not because of itself, but because it leads to haram, it may become discouraged, makruh, or strongly disliked, depending on the circumstance. And so the sin will not be there, but the karaha will remain. And so here we get to this reality, this awkward reality, and I brought this up quite a few times. And um, I, I, I do, I don't like to have to mention these types of things, but what can one do in this regard that the internet has made fatwa shopping just like a buffet, you can find anything. And it is very common to find many groups of scholars, uh, especially from lands far, far away, uh, lands that are themselves, uh, you know, going through their own issues. But anyway, that's besides the point, that you will find uh, websites, you know, that answer Q&A of Islam, that pretty much make everything blanket haram. Like literally there's hardly anything except that haram, haram, haram. And the fact of the matter is that many people love these fatawa. And when I or others come along and try to dig through and make some things makroo and haram and whatnot, even though I quote other ulama, it doesn't matter. There is a huge you know, backlash and liberalization and you're a sellout and this and that. And generally speaking, the people who are of this ilk, generally speaking, their particular demographics, and I'm sorry to say this, they're young males, that's generally the case. And they are ultra strict in their ideal utopia, but that's not the way the world works. And these fatawa, they might be popular in terms of YouTube links or viewers, but they are simply ignored when it comes to actual Muslims living in and working in the workplace here in the corporate side of things. And they have no relevance to the lived lives of people who are working in uh, 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 the workplace in, in, in all Western lands, dare I say even in Eastern lands, but let's not go over there. So the point is that when fatawa simply become non-viable, and when a fatwa becomes utterly meaningless for all practical purposes, then firstly, those who love such fatwa 
should open their eyes and smell the coffee as, is, as the saying goes. And secondly, uh, it becomes obligatory on those people of knowledge or students of knowledge like myself to really then chime in and say with utmost respect to our ulama 3,000 miles away, 5,000 miles away, you know, we have to ask them to mind their own societies and we have to speak to our peoples. How many people come to me in the corporate office? And by the way, FYI, I have also dabbled, as I've said multiple times in the corporate world and I have worked in the corporate world for a, a while. And also when I was in academia and I'm still in academia, you know, it's not as if academia is, is separate. We also have to do, you know, things that people in the masjid communities or shiuch who live uh, separate, maybe not fully understand or realize. So my point being that with humility and respect, I say that I am fairly familiar with that type of environment and those who have never lived or worked it, uh, it is much easier for them to be idealistic and to give these very nice sounding fatawa that resonate amongst college kids who have never worked and resonate amongst people who would like to see such a world but don't inhabit the real world, but it doesn't resonate with the people who are actually working in the office uh, themselves. So I'm going to bring up a number of issues here that we should be aware of first and foremost, that uh, perhaps the most important is that our fuqaha have discussed something that is called ma'ammat bihil balwa, that that which everybody in society is doing even though they should not do it. And that when an evil or when something that is makruh becomes the norm, the shari ruling has to be adjusted in light of the norm for people who interact with that. And this is a lived reality that nobody can deny. Again, you know, may Allah protect all of us. I have to always point out that uh, this, this, this uh, reality of criticizing and refuting uh, people of knowledge and people of uh, uh, you know training by people who haven't studied or trained, it has caused so much damage in the social media and people are so confused. But the fact of the matter is that this is a real issue of fiqh, a real issue of the scholars of Islam that they're well aware of. And that is when an evil becomes commonplace, you cannot expect to apply the exact same ruling than when the evil was not commonplace. And there are specialized treatises and books written. There's, you know, dissertations written about this issue of and no doubt when our scholars discuss these issues, they too need to fear Allah and not open up the floodgates. But still, let us be realistic here. We're living in a society at a time and a place where the rules of hijab do not exist in the Western world. Frankly, even in the Eastern world, they do not exist. The rules of, uh, in the Western world, alcohol is rampant everywhere. In every gathering almost, or in every business meeting or whatnot, people are drinking. If you wish to live in these lands. And by the way, it's not as if going somewhere is going to solve all of these problems. You're going to have another set of problems. There is no utopia anywhere in the world. If you wish to work in corporate uh, lifestyles, you're going to be exposed to things that there is no running away from. And therefore, we need to keep in mind a number of things. First and foremost, that which is haram in and of itself versus that which is haram because it leads to haram. Secondly, the issue of that which is muntashir, that which is commonly practiced, doesn't take the same ruling as that which is not practiced. And thirdly, 
the fact that somebody is forced to do something because of social pressure, because of awkwardness, is not the same as somebody who willingly goes out of his way and embraces something. And the last point, the gen generic rule, which is the most important rule, Allah says in the Quran, Fear Allah as much as you can fear Him, as much as it's possible to fear Him. We cannot reach perfection. We strive as much as we can. So for example, uh, that which is haram li dhatihi is drinking. Under no circumstances should you cave under pressure because it's awkward unless somebody is threatening to kill you, obviously then you're forgiven. Otherwise, that which is haram li dhatihi, right? Zina is haram li dhatihi, drinking is haram li dhatihi. Under no circumstance should you feel awkward and then fall into these things. Uh, on the other hand, that which you are pressured socially to do for some يعني, maslaha, being in the environment where there's alcohol. It is not the same sin, nowhere near the sin as of course drinking alcohol. So to answer these questions again generically, uh, our sister's asking about wearing scrubs and you know the, the forearms exposed and whatnot. And again, the response is, look, يعني, what can I say? There, you, the, being in the healthcare system, I understand they have the rules and frankly, the rules are put for a reason, I understand that they want your hands to be constantly washed so you cannot be wearing stuff here, you're gonna put the gloves on all the way there, uh, the scrubs are there because they wanna be moving about. So yeah, and you try your best to wear the loosest scrubs that you can, try your best maybe to get an exception for yourself. And uh, by the way, talk to your bosses a lot of times, the rules might be there, but yeah, and on a one-on case, they might just let you wear a full you know, sleeve or whatnot. If it's not allowed to and they're making, you know, they say the rule is gonna be applied, then yeah, and what can I say, don't live your life lifestyle, you know, based upon that clothing. And yani, when you're finishing work and go back home, then obviously go more, more modest. But at that point in time, yani, what else can I say? I mean, fear Allah as much as you can. Uh, I'm not gonna tell you to give up your career because your forearms are exposed. I'm not gonna tell you your whole money is haram. I will say that you should try within your job to try to find as much, you know, halal as you can. And if it's not possible, then something like this does not take the same ruling as blatant haram. And by the way, even this issue of the forearms, I mean, you, we find some of the, 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 the Salaf Qatada and others, and this again shows the narrow-mindedness. So many of our yani, minor students of knowledge, they're not, not even aware that many of the uh, earlier scholars literally said that the forearms is not even awra, because a woman is gonna expose them when she's cleaning, when she's, uh, you know, even in public buying and selling. There are opinions of this nature from the very past, by the way. But I'm just bringing that up that um, uh, uh, you will find yani, always some you know diversity of thought and when you find some difference of opinion then it shows you that it is not as clear-cut haram as other issues uh, the issue of for example gazing upon the other opposite gender once again yani again with utmost respect you have your standard youtube ulama always everything haram 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 nothing is ever halal yakhi go read the books of fiqh and listen to actual fuqaha not those who have you know trained with what is the dalil and what is the qawl al-rajih and whatnot actual fuqaha if you read their books of fiqh you will see that there is a much more nuanced discussion. True, some ulama said all gaze is unconditionally haram unless it is done out of need or necessity. For example, a medical doctor surgery, obviously. True, some ulama said that. But the fact of the matter is from the very beginning of time, we find many scholars, many fuqaha who said that what is forbidden is the lustful gaze. And when the gaze is not lustful and you're just looking for the sake of looking at the person you're talking to, then that 
is mubah. It's not, and some said it's makroo but not haram, which is probably the safer opinion. And some said only when he or she is a fitna to look at, i.e. it's a potential fitna, when they become older then it's not. And some said oh, only when there's shahwa, when there's lust, and when there's no lust then it becomes permissible. And they have their evidences of them is the Quran says to both men and women to lower their gaze. Right? And yet our Prophet ﷺ allowed Aisha to look at the uh, uh, Abyssinians who were playing in the masjid with spears because everybody understood that and, and she's looking at the, 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 the spear play. And there's no problem in that because it's understood there's no shahwa involved whatsoever. So we have a number of famous ulama of the past, many many uh, madhabs uh, have allowed to look upon the opposite gender as long as it is not staring, done out of lust, done for a potential of fitna, if you're just having a conversation. In fact, the default position is that you may look at the face and hands when there is even the slightest need to do so. Our fuqaha have said, when a trader buys and sells, he, he needs to look at the buyer in case an argument happens and the court of laws comes in, he needs to know who he sold it to or she needs to know who she sold it to. Any t uh, uh, thing of this nature, it's not darura, it's not life and death when you sell something, but you know, as the interaction is gonna happen, you need to be polite to your customer base, you need to know who your customer is. Everybody knows the difference between being polite and between being flirtatious. Nobody needs to teach you being dignified versus wanting something from the opposite gender. And many fuqaha have allowed the gaze that is non-lustful and the interaction that is decent and dignified and they have said what is forbidden and what the Quran says to lower your gaze, that means the lustful gaze. And we understand this by the context of the verse. And by the way, again, there are plenty of, you know, athar of the salaf and that's what really sometimes I have to say it does kind of irritate me that those who claim to follow the salaf, frankly, many of them have never actually read the fatawa of the salaf and, uh, you know, we have to teach them uh, what they say is their own school, uh, Hassan al-Basri. And, and by the way, realize early in Islam, Muslims conquered you know, many lands that were non-Muslim lands and these ladies are not dressed the way that they would be in a you know, fully Islamic uh, society at the time. Al-Hassan al-Basri in al-Basra obviously, Al-Hassan al-Basri was asked uh, by merchants that uh, they said, we are selling uh, cotton. That we see the non-Muslim ladies coming and they're not wearing the headscarves and their hairs are flowing. So what can we do? And Hassan al-Basri said, there's no sin in that. What are you going to do? These are your non-Muslim customers. You're not staring with lust. You're just interacting with them. This is al-Hassan al-Basri. He is not just, you know, Salafi. He is the Salaf. So again, with utmost respect to uh, that strand and whatnot, but uh, there is a pragmatic reality. What are you going to do when all the men and women in your uh, uh, office are not following the Sharia in yani, their interactions, in their dress code? You follow the Sharia as much as you can. And in your interactions with, with others, and especially of the opposite gender, you maintain your dignity and you maintain your Islamic morals and whatnot. But in and of itself to look and to interact and to smile and to make sure you avoid flirtation, inshallah this is completely fine and permissible. Allah knows your intention and therefore remain polite and remain dignified. And yes, you may interact in a, a appropriate manner, but, and I have to be a very, very clear here, if there is lust in your heart, if a particular person is causing doubts or, 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 or shahawat to come, then you need to fear Allah. Allah knows the difference. 
Allah knows what's in your heart. And if, because look, again, let's be honest here. Where do all such affairs and fahisha start from? It starts from uh, the, the gaze, and then the heart starts feeling, and then the flirtation, it all starts from there. So if you notice this in your own self with a particular person, well then that's on you. And you need to maintain and control, and you need to lower with that particular person. But if you're interacting generically with your colleagues, with your office workers, with your bosses and secretaries, and you're being polite and kind and dignified and smiling, and you are not being flirtatious, and in the course of your day, you will look at obviously your people, your clients, your bosses, and you will look at them directly in and of itself. This is a classical standard position of the fuqaha. This isn't some modern fiqh by Yasir Qadi. No, it's classical fiqh. Agreed, there is a difference and agreed. Some fuqaha said all gaze is unconditionally not allowed. But I'm telling you from the very beginning, look at uh, Al-Qadi Abu Yusuf and look at other statements of the uh, Shafi'i and Hanafi scholars of the past. It is well known, many of them said, the gaze that is haram is the lustful gaze. As for the gaze that is not done out of lust, then it is mubah or some said the max, you can say it's makru, it's best to avoid. And no doubt it is best to avoid. But is it sinful? Does it come under the verse? Many fuqaha said, no, it does not come under the verse. And the same goes about being in the presence of alcohol. And I've given a longer fatwa, you can go back to that. There is no question that uh, it is best to avoid being in the same room where alcohol is. But again, how much can you avoid in the corporate lifestyles that many of us are, are working in? Try your best and your colleagues should know that you don't like being around alcohol. And you should not attend any meeting where there's alcohol, where the purpose of the meeting is just to socialize and there's nothing of benefit to your job. You know the difference. Sometimes your office workers just wanna go and have fun or just wanna go and spend the office money uh, for, for budgeting and whatnot and, and there's no benefit to you or your job. Why should you go when there's alcohol there? But sometimes there's a meeting, the boss's boss is coming, the annual, you know, uh, uh, year's event is being done and your presence or lack thereof is a huge deal. In that case, show your presence, try your best to avoid directly the areas of alcohol, try your best to, you know, not be directly uh, in the vicinity of the alcohol table, let's say, right? But what are you going to do? Your boss comes up to you is drinking alcohol. What are you going to do? You're not going to run away. You will talk gently, give what needs to be done and give your, show your presence and then leave whenever you are able to leave without causing any issues. There is nothing insha'Allah sinful inherently in being in the same room where there are people that are you know non-Muslims that are drinking it's not good there's no question and you should try your best to not make this the default and norm but once again we have to be you know uh, realistic in, in, in the fatawas we give and we say your close colleagues and your workers should know that you don't like the presence of alcohol and they should know that if there's no reason, you'd rather not be there. But they should also recognize and realize that, hey, you're not gonna stop your career because somebody else is drinking alcohol. You're not gonna enforce the sharia on your boss and your colleagues. It's not gonna work that way. So, fattaqullaha mastata'atum. Avoid that which is haram uh, in its essence, haram because in and of itself, never ever justify the explicit haram unless your life is threatened. You, you should never feel awkward and have to drink alcohol. You should never go to level of something that is haram in and of itself. But that which leads to the haram and that which has been shut because it is leading to that, well, if you are forced to you know do this gray area, don't like it in your heart, do not like it in your heart, do not embrace it as a lifestyle, 
do the bare minimum, ask Allah's forgiveness, and do the best that you can to minimize these types of things. And in the end of the day, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive me and you for all the sins, major and minor, that we do. May Allah Azza wa guide us all to that which He loves. And until next week, Jazakumullahu Khairan. Salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. إن المسلمين والمسلمات والمؤمنين والمؤمنات والقانتين والقانتات والصادقين والصادقات والصابرين والصابرات والخاشعين والخاشعات والخاشعين والخاشعات والمتصدقين والمتصدقات والصائمين والصائمات والحافظين فروجهم والحافظات والذاكرين الله كثيرا والذاكرات أعد الله لهم مغفرة وأجرا عظيما